Hey everyone, this is Jake Milwee. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you would ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. I know most of you, but in case you don't know me, my name is Laurian Hook and I've preached here a few times in the past. I know a lot of people who go to church here, and it's always a joy to be with your congregation. So thanks so much for having me. I told the first service, it's always a little bit daunting to come into a situation where you're walking into a lot of change and a lot of transition and a lot of just newness. And so just know that I'm sensitive to that, and I feel that for your congregation right now. And we're going to process through that a little bit through the book of Habakkuk, which is what we're going to be preaching through. Let me pray for us, and then we will get going. Lord, thank you for just these beautiful people. Um, God, I pray that through the study of the scriptures this morning that we could uh, see more clearly uh, just who you are and who we are. Um, God, so that we can be formed more and more into the image of your son. Um, God, would you give us peace and a lot of just patience right now um, and grace both for ourselves and for others. Um, seasons of transition are hard. Um, so God, we present that to you and we ask you to help us through it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm sure that every single one of you read Habakkuk this week, and it's probably your most favorite book in the Old Testament, and you know exactly what happens in it, um, because, I mean, it's Habakkuk, right? Like, everyone knows the story. If, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, it's actually easier if you start in Matthew and then go to the left just a few pages. That's how far back in the Old Testament it is. Don't start in Genesis and try to find it going forward. Start in Matthew and go backwards. You'll find it much, much faster. It's one of like the tiny, tiny little books at the very end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk is a, is a prophet, right? So he's uh, talking to God and talking to the people, and he's kind of surveying what's going on. And Habakkuk is really, if we're going to kind of condense it down a little bit and try to really explain over the course of my time with you and over the next few months, as we preach through Habakkuk, what's kind of our, our big like summary statement about if you want to condense Habakkuk into just a phrase, what do we say? Habakkuk is an appeal to God based on God's character. Let me say that again. Habakkuk is an appeal to God based on God's character. So here's kind of the premise. Let me set up Habakkuk for you. Habakkuk is a prophet. Remember with me that in, in the Old Testament, you have the nation of Israel, right? And then at, at a point in time, things go really bad, and then Israel splits into two different kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom, 10 of the 12 tribes stay with them, and then you have the southern kingdom that becomes Judah, and two of the tribes stay with, stay with Judah, okay? Habakkuk is written to the southern two tribes. The northern tribes have already, it's already gone really bad for them. And Habakkuk comes on the scene and he's looking around these two tribes in Judah who have had a really rough time with good kings and bad kings and more bad kings than good kings. And idol worship has crept in and all these things. And Habakkuk wakes up one morning and he looks around and he goes, this is not how things are supposed to be, God. Based on God's character and based on God's nature and based on God's promises, Habakkuk appeals to God and says, how, how long can this last? So let me read the first four verses, and we're going to kind of break up the first chapter into some chunks here. Habakkuk, the first little bit is broken up into Habakkuk's complaints, and they're not, they are complaints. They're not even like, in your, in your Bible, it might not, not, it's probably not even called like Habakkuk's prayer. It's Habakkuk's just straight up complaint, and then God's response, and then Habakkuk's complaint and God's response. 
And so the first, the first complaint is this. This starts in verse 1 of Habakkuk. It says, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, that sounds redundant, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Let's pause right there. Habakkuk is, is looking around. He's not looking yet outwardly. He's looking inwardly at the, at the tribes that make up the kingdom of Judah. So he's not looking at other nations. He's not looking at other kingdoms. He's looking internally at who is supposed to be the people of God. And he's saying crazy things like um, destruction and violence are before me. Wrongdoing is everywhere. There's violence. And then he says this in verse four. This is key. He says, the law is paralyzed. The law is paralyzed. Now, Old Testament study and Old Testament history will tell you this. The law is really important, right? The law is really important to the people of God. Why? Because God gives it to them as a covenantal marker saying, I will be your God. You will be my people. Here's my rule book for how I want the actual whole world to run. We're going to start with just you guys. Follow this law. And the law is actually, it's not just a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts. It's more about creating a system where people are safe. The law, if you actually go back and read Leviticus and stuff and try not to fall asleep, it's, you're going to read it and you're going to be like, oh, this is about making sure that I can't harm my neighbor. This is about making sure that like, if I do this to you, you are recompensed and there are consequences for my actions. So the law is about creating a society in which people can actually thrive and dwell and flourish according to how God wants things set up. So for Habakkuk to make the crazy claim that the law is paralyzed means several things. One of which it means that the wicked, who we're going to talk about in a second, are beginning to take over and beginning to take power so that justice and righteousness are not prevailing. So that care of other and kind of this this system and this world that the law is trying to perpetuate is, is stifled. It's not able to happen when the wicked prevail and when righteousness is nowhere to be found. So Habakkuk is looking at this, and he's looking at this massive season of change in, in Judah's life, and he's going, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, is, are you going to allow injustice to happen? How long are you going to allow the law to be paralyzed within your own people? He's, again, he's not yet looking outside of, of these two little tribes that are supposed to be following the God of the Old Testament. No, he's saying, how long are you going to let it happen in us? And he's frustrated, and he doesn't know what to do. And then God responds. The wicked here, in verse 4, are God's people. They're not anyone. It's not outward looking at. The wicked, in verse 4, are the people of God. And Habakkuk is saying, how long are you going to let this happen? And then God responds. Verse 5 says this. This is, this is God speaking. Look at the nations and watch... And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And then here's what God's going to do. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. 
They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps to capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. They are guilty people whose strength is their God. And Habakkuk's like, that's not an answer. <laughs> that, is, that is not an answer to my question of how long, O oh Lord, are you going to allow unrighteousness to happen within your own people? And God says, here's my answer. I'm going to give you even more wicked people that are actually going to come and rule over you and dominate you and take people away from you and kind of eventually just desecrate all of your land. That's my answer. And as you can expect, Habakkuk has a follow-up complaint. But let's talk about this for a second because it's going to kind of set the trajectory for a little bit of where the rest of Habakkuk goes. Let's talk about the Babylonians. The Babylonians, I'm sure you guys have heard a lot about them. You guys studied Revelation not too long ago. Babylon comes up a lot in Revelation, right, as kind of the symbol of people pretty much exactly who fit this description in in the second part of chapter 1. They're ruthless. They're feared, they're dreaded, they're bent on war, they're built on capturing things, they're built on building up their own name. The scene that that Habakkuk lays out in chapter one here, a lot of scholars believe that this part about they chase after their enemies like the sand and they collect them like, you know, all this stuff. Um, At one point in time, the Babylonians went to war with, with the kingdom of Egypt and they overthrew the Pharaoh, they overthrew the king of Egypt in, in a battle. And Babylon's king at the time, the Egyptians were fleeing, they were, they were returning home, they were defeated. And the Babylonian king said, that's not good enough. I want you, my army, to go chase after them and decimate them. It's not good enough for them to kind of wave the white flag and go home with their tail between their legs. No, I want them gone. And Babylon's army was like, they had all the best stuff at the time. They had the biggest budget and they had the most chariots and they had the best materials. And so they chase across the Egyptian desert after these Egyptian people and just take care of business. And then they assimilate them and take care of their kingdom. And so Babylon's just growing. And they're these are not people that you want to invade you. Like, it's bad news bears. And that's God's response. That's God's response when Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord? And God's like, Babylon. And Habakkuk then says, Oh, wait, what? That, that's not the answer I was looking for. That's not what I was, ex- whereas I was expecting this story to go. Look at, look at Habakkuk's reply. Starting in verse 12, this is what a lot of translations call his second complaint. This is his response to God's saying, hey, I'm going to send the Babylonians. Habakkuk says this, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them, that's the Babylonians, to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made the people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. 
Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? So Habakkuk says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, Let me check that real quick. You're saying, God, that you're going to send a nation even more evil than the nation I'm praying about to you, and that's your response to evil. And God's like, yes, that's my response. But I want you to notice, I want us to notice, because the rest of the book is going to, we're going to begin to see Habakkuk move to a place where he's actually able to process this a little bit and begin to kind of intake it. And then he gets to a place at the end where he's kind of resolved. And he's like, okay, if that's what's going to happen, okay. But the way he gets there is really interesting. Take note, verse 12 says this, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. He uses a lot of descriptors of God there. So Habakkuk, here in this second complaint, and in the first as well, but in the second one, he is rooting his complaint and his expectation of how God is supposed to act in God's character. He's not pulling out of his back pocket his agenda for how God is supposed to act and his personal preferences for how God is supposed to act. He says, no, I'm going to actually call you to the mat on this, God, because you have from of old revealed yourself to be these things. You've told us that you're going to be our rock. You've told us that you're the holy one. You've told us that you're going to execute judgment. So I'm going to root my complaint. I'm going to root my disgruntlement with you in your identity rather than my expectations of you. And sometimes we get frustrated when God doesn't act like we want God to act because that's not God's nature to begin with. That's our nature. And that's a hard place to be. And Habakkuk shows us how to walk that line of saying, God, I'm really frustrated. God, this isn't going the way I thought it would. I can still bring that before you. Like the psalm that we read earlier, how long, O Lord, are you going to forget me? And that psalm resolves with saying, but I will trust in your unfailing love. And so this is kind of Habakkuk's version of that. He's like, This is not what I expected. This is not how this is supposed to go. But God, you are holy. You're everlasting. You're never going to die. You're righteous. You're all these things. So let me remind you of that and then kind of present my case. And Habakkuk's case is, wait, God, so your answer to this, this kind of messed up nation is to send an even worse nation in. Sometimes, oftentimes, our theological textbook kind of sterile understanding of God does not match up with our actual lived out life experience of what God is like. God disappoints us. God surprises us. God lets us down, at least in our perception of that. God picks us up. But oftentimes, part of the human experience is continually learning how to kind of reframe and reframe and refocus Because God doesn't always behave the way we want God to behave. Because God's God. And this is Habakkuk kind of of wrestling with this, saying, you told us, like you've made promises that at least I thought I understood, or at least I thought I took in the way I should have taken in, that you were going to defend us, you were going to take care of us, you were going to do this, you were going to kind of purge evil from our midst, and God's saying, yes. Here they are. It's called the Babylonians. And it's going to be really bad. It's going to be really bad. Let me talk real quickly about verse 13, because verse 13 of of Habakkuk chapter 1 has been used, uh, in my opinion, 
uh, wrongly <laughs> for, for many, many years. And I've heard, I don't know, some of you may have heard this, some of you may have said it. If you've said it, it's okay. We can talk about it. Um, but a lot of people will say this phrase. They'll say, God cannot look on sin. God, God cannot look on evil. And my response to that is, what do you do with Jesus? Because it makes, it's really clear in the Gospels that Jesus is like down and dirty with the sinners, right? Like he's down there in the muck. He's touching them. He's healing them. He's right up here with them. He's going to their parties. Not once. Show me one place in the Gospel, friends, where Jesus looks at a sinner and turns away. Because he can't look on sin. No, 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 no. But Habakkuk, this is like the kind of like the, the only verse where we get this idea, and it's just been wielded in a lot of really painful ways, where it says that your eyes, God, are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. God will do things to fix evil. God has done things to fix evil. He sent himself, and he's continuing to do that as we move towards the consummation and the healing and the restoration of all things. But people read this verse in Habakkuk, and they're like, well, God just, he can't even think about it. He can't even look at it. If God can't look at sin, we'd all be in a really bad place. We'd all be in a really bad place. Here's the thing, though. God came down into our sin. God came down into our mess to provide a way out. So God has an answer for our sin. God has an answer for our brokenness. God has an answer when things, when the law is paralyzed. God has an answer for it. Again, it might not look like the answer we want, but it's not that God can't look at it. Jesus would have never come if that was the case. But Habakkuk's refrain remains, God, why are you tolerating the, the unrighteous? Why are you tolerating the wicked? God has a plan. But again, remember that sometimes our theological definition of God and our theological understanding of God that kind of we have just in our brains that makes us sound smart, maybe if we talk about it, but never really sees the light of day, or when it does see the light of day, it gets shaken really badly. We have to wrestle with those things. We have to reckon with those things. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. And we're going to see as the rest of the book unfolds, we're going to see Habakkuk begin to get to a place where he can, he can say something like, okay, even though this is happening, and even though what I want to happen isn't happening, I, I still have hope. I still will rejoice. I still will remain faithful. Even though what I want for this situation, even though my perception of how God is handling the situation is not what it needs to be. And I think if I were to sit down with every single one of you in this room, all, every single one of us have in us, maybe even multiple, but have in us at least one, how long, O oh Lord? We, ha- we all have them. How long, O oh Lord, until my kids do this? How long, O oh Lord, until this, this situation resolves itself? How long, O oh Lord, do you expect me to continue doing this when I don't want to do it? All those things. But Habakkuk shows us, and again, the Psalms also show us a way to go to, before God with your how long, O oh Lord, and be frustrated, be disgruntled, even be angry about it, but make sure that when we present our how long, O oh Lord, before God, that we do it based in who God is and not in who we are and not in who we want God to be for us. Habakkuk is able to take his complaint to God because he knows the story of God, right? 
He's able to take his complaint before the creator of all things because he's familiarized himself with the character of the, crea- of the creator of all things. He's figured out where he is in the story so he can appeal to the storyteller and say, this is not how I thought it was going to be. But he does it based on his knowledge of God's character and God's holiness and God's promises to God's people. And here's the other thing about Habakkuk that kind of sets the stage. Habakkuk is complaining. Habakkuk is disgruntled. Habakkuk is frustrated. But God still responds. God is still responding to Habakkuk, even in Habakkuk's crisis. Habakkuk is not just like kind of praying and and it's bouncing off the ceiling or he's just shaking his fist at the heavens and he's not getting anything back. No, no, no. Habakkuk is praying and God is responding. And I think sometimes, I may or may not be speaking from personal experience here, but I think sometimes we get frustrated with God because God's not speaking about something back to us. God's not revealing something to us that we desperately need because we've never asked him to do it. Or we asked like once kind of in passing and we haven't really devoted ourselves to prayer. We haven't really devoted ourselves to, to pr- just placing ourselves before God and saying, God, would you please speak? Prayer is work sometimes. Sometimes it's not, but in certain seasons it is. And Habakkuk, I think, shows us, hey, you can present your how long, O Lord, before him, rooted in God's nature, rooted in God's character, and then God will respond. And some of you, I think, would say, well, Lorian, I've done that. I've, I've prayed a lot in my life, and I just, sometimes it's just silence, and I don't get any response. If that's the case, and that will happen, this happens to, to all of us, I think, let me invite you to do this. If you're praying for your how long, O Lord, and you're not getting anything, and it's just like, are you, is this microphone on? Like, are you listening, God? Invite someone else into your prayers with you. Invite someone else into your kind of just knocking and knocking and knocking on the door, and then wait and listen together. This is why we have community. This is why we have the body of Christ. And so you are not expected necessarily to go to God alone every single time you want to pray. You can do that. You should pray alone. You should go in your, in your closet and close the door, like the scriptures tell us. Maybe make sure you have a fan in there to keep the airflow. But invite someone else into your, oh, how long, oh Lord, because here's my, here's my guarantee to you. They have one too. They have one too. Every single person in this room has something that they are waiting for God to do. They're longing for God to do. They wish God would do. They wish God would respond to. All of you have an, an how long, oh Lord. So maybe it's generic, maybe it's really personal. But Habakkuk begins to show us in this first chapter how to take that before God, how to root it in God's identity, and how to appeal to God based on God's character, not based on how we want God to be, not based on our opinion about God, not based on our character. If you want to appeal to God, as, is, as, as the scriptures kind of reveal to us how to do it, we must root it in God's character, which means we must know the story of God. We have to know how to appeal to God. You can't make an appeal to someone if you don't know what they want, if you don't know what they are like, if you don't, you're going to kind of just bounce off the walls. But Habakkuk knows that God is holy. He knows God is everlasting. He knows God is righteous. He knows God is the God who has promised things to God's people, and he knows what those things are. And so he can rightfully stand up and appeal to God based on these things. 
Habakkuk is an appeal to God based on God's nature, based on God's character. As we unfold the next few chapters, God's going to respond again. Because we've, we've kind of left you on a cliffhanger here with Habakkuk saying, God, wait a second. The Babylonians are your answer, really? Habakkuk is going to get another response from God, and God's going to go a little bit deeper into God's purposes and plans. And we're going to eventually, like I said at the end, get to a place where Habakkuk is able to make peace with this. And that is kind of ultimately our goal. It's where we can be at peace with what God is doing. And we can get there. We just got to spend a little bit of time in prayer. <laughs> Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the fact that we can approach your throne boldly. That we can come before you just honestly and transparently and vulnerably and angrily sometimes and joyfully some other times. God, would you help us uh, this week just learn what it means to bring those things before you continually? Not just kind of in passing while we're brushing our teeth in the morning, but throughout the day. And God, would you help us really believe that we can trust you based on your character that we've experienced over and over again? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.